Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading today is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Insomuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and the blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things returning to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Please be seated. God is good all the time. I know Gary gave us a lot to think on and a lot of folks to pray about, and so sometimes it can seem like that's a very hard statement to say, but for those for whom it is hard to say, we'll keep on saying it for you. We want to remember definitely those that Gary mentioned in prayer, and Gary, thank you for leading us in prayer for all of those, and Derek, thank you for that first song, Living by Faith. It's important to live by faith because if we just live only by what we see, it's easy to be very discouraged and disheartened. And sometimes we know that God in His divine plan has it so that one who is very ill becomes well again. But we also know that God has it in His plan that we, though death be a reality on the face of this earth, that He save us from eternal death, that we can have the hope of everlasting life. If you want to follow along with us this morning, uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. Feel free to turn there. If you're going to use a pew Bible, the number is 1,833. 1,833. Last Sunday, many, many folks focused on Jesus born and Jesus in the manger. And that's well and fine, but I want to make sure that we don't leave Jesus in the manger that we take him beyond there where he actually, in fact, went. And if we follow the steps of our Lord, we see that he went ultimately to the cross. There at the cross, sacrifice for the sins of the world to accomplish something that only God can accomplish. Nothing that we can do, but God is the one who could accomplish it. And I love the way that Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
So in order for our salvation to become a reality, we have to see it the way God sees it. And what God tells us through Paul is that Jesus became what we are so that through him we can become what he is. Wonderful thought, wonderful thought to think about. So you go to the cross where Jesus was crucified, and then he's buried in the tomb, and three days later raises from the dead. And for a period of about 40 days, he's there with his disciples, teaching them and going with them and telling them many things. You remember that one morning when he met with his disciples and he told them, given the final charge, told them to fear not. Then he ascends to heaven, and they have about 10 days between the day he ascended until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to them. So for 10 days, they spent their time in prayer. And while you're waiting on God, there's no greater place than to spend your time than in prayer. People are waiting on God right now as a result of news they've received, or because of an uncertain future. Well, what do you do? You wait on God in prayer. You live by faith. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but we know one of two things. Either the best possible outcome on earth is feasible, or sometimes the best possible outcome which God has in store for all who fear Him and follow Him is that we live with Him eternally in the heavens above. I can tell you one thing. As time goes on and as you see things happen and as you see people struggle, heaven looks sweeter and sweeter. What really does this earth have other than the, the ones that we love? But other than that, what does this world have that we really want to be a part of? I mean, if you can make a list of things, that's great. And many of us have blessed lives. We're, we're very fortunate. We, if we have good health, that in and of itself is a blessing. If we have healthy spouses and children and grandchildren, you know, you don't realize just how valuable that is until you see those who don't have it. And then you go beyond that and you say, well, what do we have? You know, we have homes. And though many of us were displeased last weekend and probably complaining, hopefully you can say that no matter how bad the snow and the ice was, you had power, you had heat. You see, there's a mindset to being a Christian. You can always look for the good or you can always look for the bad. And some people are that way. All they ever see is the bad. And that's not to say that those who always see the good are living like ostriches with their head in the sand. There's nothing wrong with being realistic and going, yeah, this is pretty bad, but how do we respond to it? Do we respond to the badness or do we live by faith? Do we see the good in a circumstance or do we only see the flaw? You know, it's kind of like this guy that was an up-and-coming painter. He wanted to paint for a career and many of us would go, how do you make money after that? Well, you really don't until after you're dead. It's what I've noticed. A lot of the great artists have only made money after they've died, and then their paintings are, are fabulous. But so he's painting this painting, and he gets finished with it, and he wants to show his parents and his mother, of course, always supportive. She says, that looks very nice, dear. You did a really fine job. And his dad, over the whole thing, he said, it looks pretty good, but you got this one problem. And he points out the one flaw to him. And the painter focused more on the flaw that his father pointed out than the overall beauty. And I'm glad that God doesn't look at us based on the flaws. Because there are a lot more flaws than there is beauty. But thankfully, because of Jesus, we live now in a reality that is far greater 
than the flaws, the sins, and the stains on our soul because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that has made all the difference. In 1816, there was a ghostwriting competition and it yielded one of the most famous literary works ever. On a stormy night in June in 1816, a teenage Mary Shelley wrote the infamous book, Frankenstein. It's arguably regarded as the first work of science fiction. Mary Shelley was a pioneer, a trailblazer, if you will. There have been many people throughout history, and, and we read about them and study about them in history, not because they're ordinary, but because of something that's unique about them, because maybe they were a pioneer in their field. I mean, think about folks like Leonardo da Vinci, not the Ninja Turtle, but the Renaissance artist. Think about people like Madame Curie, the Wright brothers, Gandhi, Florence Nightingale, Rosa Parks, and many others. And if you don't know any of those names, please do a Google search. Your education has failed you. But do a Google search of these folks who have blazed a trail that others have built upon. The Wright brothers were the first to take aerial flight. And then you have Amelia Earhart, who was the first to cross the ocean, the first female to cross the ocean. But when you look at Hebrews chapter 2, we see in verse 10 that it was fitting for him for whom all things are and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, your version may say author of salvation or it may say captain of salvation, but another translation that's very feasible for that is pioneer. Jesus blazed the trail. He was a pioneer. That is, he shows us the way because he blazed that trail as only he could. And he invites us along that trail as well. So when we think about Jesus in him, while he is now in the heavens, we have a pioneer, someone who has led the way and someone who shows us the way. And through the suffering he endured, he makes perfect our salvation. And when we think of the word perfection, we think of something that's flawless. And that's definitely true, but you can add to perfection wholeness or, or, or fulfillment and the like. And so through the trail that he blazed of our salvation, through his sufferings, we see a perfect reality in that he has led the way and we need only to follow the way. You know, when people were just coming to this country and when they were going into the frontier, which Kentucky was considered the frontier because most people live there on the East Coast, they always turned to someone who had already been there, someone who had gone and said, this is where you want to go, this is where you don't want to go. And then you have the Lewis and Clark expedition where they go so far and they come back and they write about all their journeys. And then you've got other people that say, I want to go there too. And there have been people that pay lots of money to climb Mount Everest. Why? Because a lot of people have done it. Many have died doing it. A few have actually made it. So when Sir Edmund Hillary was asked, why did you wish to climb Mount Everest? His answer was, it was there. So he did it, and then others come behind wanting to do the same. Jesus has given us the path, and it's up to us to follow that path. So in Jesus, we have not only a pioneer, but we have also a brother. When I think about Jesus, I always think about my Lord 
my Savior, or the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God, right? We think of, we think of a lot of things, but have you ever thought of Jesus as your brother? Because this is exactly how he describes himself in verses 11 and 12. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. If you want to note in your Bible, the word translated assembly is the same word translated church. For whatever reason, the, the, the English translator said, let's use a different word. But in the midst of the church, I will sing praises to you. Same word. And it can be translated as assembly. It can be translated as congregation. But more often than not, we see it in our New Testaments as church. Jesus regards us as his brethren. I have three brothers. One of them is a half-brother, and the other two are step-brothers. And we don't see each other very often. We don't call or go out of our way to visit. But whenever we see one another, we just kind of pick up where we left off. And I'm pretty sure that if I knew my brothers ever needed anything, if I could do something, I'd want to do it. And I'm pretty sure that if they knew I needed something, if they could do it, they would want to help as well. Uh, something special about siblings. At a certain age, you want to kill them. And if you grow up and both of you mature as you should, sometimes you become the best of friends. Or you still may want to kill them. I don't know. I, I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me. But I love that Jesus is my brother. In addition to being my Savior, my Lord, and all that that entails. So in Jesus, we have a pioneer. In Jesus, we have a brother. I want to tell you a true story. Lance Corporal Alec Catherwood was only 19 when he was killed in action in Afghanistan. His mother Gretchen felt as if the world had ended. But she finally came to the realization that she could not honor him if all she did was give up. So she wanted to do something for those who made it home. And she noticed that whenever combat veterans were together, they would talk. And it seemed to almost be cathartic. Whereas with their loved ones who wanted to support them, they would never talk about what all they had to face. Gretchen is building Dark Horse Lodge in Springville, Tennessee, in honor of the 3-5th Marines. Their nickname is Dark Horse. She said, I can't help them, but I can facilitate an environment where they help themselves. And so to help these warriors, she said, her need, to help these warriors with their needs, it's out of her purview. And most of us can say that too. I cannot try to comfort or console someone who has been through the horrors of what these men and women have been through. I also can't counsel and help someone who has been an addict as to how to overcome that and to remain sober because I've never, I've never been through that. But there are people who have been through such things and they typically are able to help where the rest of us really can't understand or appreciate what those people went through. But there's a different story with Jesus. If you look at verses 17 and 18 of Hebrews chapter 2, therefore in all things he had to be made like his, he had to be made like his brethren 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, if I were to follow the path of Jesus in this respect, in order to help a combat veteran, I would have to enlist, go to war, be in the thick of all these things. Now, I'm not willing to do that. If I wanted to help an addict, I would have to become myself one, then attempt to become sober and maintain that sobriety. But that is not something I'm willing to do. Jesus, on the other hand, became as you and I are so that he can be our faithful high priest in the heavens, so that he can say, I understand what you're going through. And a lot of times we go, well, God just doesn't understand. Well, he does, more so than probably what you think. Jesus wept when loved ones died. Jesus had compassion on those who seemed hopeless. On those who were very ill, he had the power to restore their health, and he did so. Have you ever thought about when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Think about this. Uh, he, rose, he resurrected Lazarus, but, but I wonder in those days that Lazarus was in the heavens, maybe, what was he doing? Not to make light of it, but I, I, I probably, had I been Lazarus, would have said, leave me. I don't want to come back. Because he came back only having to die all over again. But it wasn't for Lazarus' sake. It was so that the power of God might be shown in him, and also that the loved ones could be comforted as well. Jesus has been tempted. Jesus has known hunger. Jesus, and I had a conversation with a Christian uh, not too long ago, a text message. I said, Jesus knows what it's like to be anxious. There are a lot of people that think, oh, you're depressed, you're anxious, just cheer up. Oh, gee, thanks. I wish I'd have known that sooner. If that's all that it takes. When you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and you see that he is sweating drops of blood, that's a true medical condition that is brought about by severe anxiety and despair. Your person lives with anxiety, with depression and such things. Jesus himself experienced that in the garden. How many people would have gone to Jesus in that moment and said, cheer up, have faith? Are you kidding me? Talking to the Son of God. So, so, so maybe be a little more empathetic to things that people are going through that maybe you and I can't fully appreciate. But Jesus himself says, I can't appreciate that. Because I've been there. I've endured. Imagine him wanting to become as we are so that he can understand. This is my own mind thinking. I sometimes wonder when he's at the right hand of the Father and he sees the things that are happening on earth, if he doesn't just turn to the Father in intercession for us and say, it's pretty hard down there. It's pretty difficult. More so than what you might think. So when you look at all the bad things, the one thing that I always think about in the midst of the scary, the bad, and the despondent, uh, I remember a story that Mr. Rogers told. Y'all remember Mr. Rogers? Won't you be my neighbor? I grew up watching Mr. Rogers in Sesame Street and reading Rainbow. You know, that's a different time. Y'all need to introduce your kids to that. It's really, really good programming. 
He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. And I, I think that's true. In order for the worst to be avoided, Jesus was needed. And you and I are called to similar positions of doing for others what they may be unable to do for themselves. A question that God asked. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the people of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. When God had determined to destroy and punish Judah for their sins, sins that for hundreds of years he has sent prophets to tell them to turn from, he says in their exile, he said, I looked for one who'd make a wall, someone who would stand in the gap. You see, walls in ancient times were always built around cities and sometimes towns, and they were meant to be a fortress, to protect those in, to not let invaders in. But you had some warriors whose military was so, so advanced that they could hurl things at walls to create a breach in the wall, and then you could, you could go right in and you could take the city. And God essentially says that in the wall of Judah there was this huge gap of sin and there wasn't a righteous person to stand in that gap. So the city fell. Now there's, an, there's another occasion where the psalmist refers to Moses as standing in that gap. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy him. So on the one hand, in Israel's history, you didn't have anyone to stand in the gap, while if you go further back, when God was angry with Israel and going to destroy them, Moses stood in that gap interceding for them. Today, people want affirmation of all that they believe they are and do, but when you stand with God, you can't always endorse. And we don't do anybody any favors by playing as if everything is okay when it may not be, especially in the eyes of the Lord. Now let's take two sides of the coin. You have the world's way of looking at things, and the world is going to say, well, if you look at it this way, it's not that bad. It's good, actually. But how does God view it? Because when we stand in judgment before the creator of the heavens and the earth, he's not going to say, hey, what was popular at your time? Rather, what has his word said? Moses interceded for Abraham. You remember that Abraham, excuse me, Moses interceded for Israel. Abraham interceded for Sodom. Stephen prayed for those who were stoning him. Paul prayed for Israel's salvation. And Jesus prayed for those who executed him. But Jesus still intercedes for us, constantly standing in the gap, preventing the worst imaginable thing to happen. So as Christians, we should be those who go forth resolved to do the same. We won't always be popular, but if we're pleasing in God's sight, popularity isn't all worth having. We have our pioneer. 
we have our brother, we have our high priest who stands there ministering to God on our behalf. There are people in my life and your life that maybe there are things they can't do for themselves or maybe there are things that need to be pointed out that they can't see. We need to be like Jesus as he was for us. We need to be that for others. It's not to say that we put ourselves in the place of God, but that we are stewards with the gifts that he has given us and that we are ministers to all people wherever we may find them. Jesus once found a man in a cemetery among the tombs. He found him there, but he didn't leave him there. Jesus on the road once found a leper. He found him there, but he didn't leave him there. You see, people like to always say, well, Jesus never condemned sinners. I think you need to go back and reread Scripture. There were some occasions where his condemnation was more so for religious folk than those that weren't. But whenever he found someone in a bad state, he didn't condemn them in that spot then and there, but he was not content to leave them in that spot. That woman called in adultery. That's where she was, but that's not where he left her. Move beyond the sin. Walk in the ways that Jesus walked. We are so blessed, and there's no better start than the new year than to resolve to be just as he was, as best as we can. None of us are perfect. The Lord knows that. We know that. But we can resolve to do our very best, to love as he loved, to minister as he ministered, to have a heart for people that he had for us. Because without it, we'd be in a pretty pitiful state. Would you bow and pray with me, please? Our Father, as we begin a new year, a lot of people make resolutions. And if there would be any that we would make, I pray that among them would be one to be more like Jesus. We confess that we've not loved you with our whole hearts. We confess that we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have sinned against you in word, thought, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. And so for the sake of your servant and our Savior Jesus, we repent and humbly pray that you forgive. And pray, Father, that we would go forward walking in that forgiveness. For those who have never named Jesus as their Lord, who have never been buried with him in baptism, we pray. We pray, Father, that they would obey the gospel, that you would put in their lives an influence that would be an encouragement to that end. And we pray for all of us that we as your children, who are your children, would be willing to be used by you towards those ends. For this we pray in Christ's name. May your will be done on, heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If any would wish to put on Christ in baptism to confess Jesus as your Lord, or those who are Christians wish to repent, come forward as we stand and as we sing.